0: You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I am your host Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to tune in today. Hey, joining me on today's program is first-time guest Mr. Kerry Lutz. Kerry is the founder of the Financial Survival Network. He hosts a very popular podcast. I have been a guest on his podcast, and uh, today he will be a guest on this program. I know you're going to appreciate. Uh, carries insight. So that will be in segments two and three of today's program. It is still May. It is the last opportunity for you to get your copy of the May 2023 special report titled IRA and 401k Strategies. If you've not yet requested the report, you can do so by visiting the website requestyourreport.com. The website again is requestyourreport.com. When you go to the website, just let me know where you would like me to mail your copy of the report. And I'll not only mail you the report absolutely free and with no future obligation, you'll also get some bonus information, including a copy of two of my best-selling books, The Little Black Book on Social Security Maximization, as well as Revenue Sourcing. That book contains a retirement planning strategy for today's economy. So again, when you go to requestyourreport.com, You'll get the May 2023 special report titled IRA and 401k strategies, as well as the bonus information. The report contains not only investing strategies, but also tax management strategies for your IRA and 401k. Well, it's always dangerous to record a radio program when there is something going on that could be time sensitive, but I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to talk about this debt ceiling debate that is going on. Uh, for uh, the record, and in the interest of transparency, I am recording this on Thursday, May 25, uh, a few days before this will air uh, on the radio and in podcast form. I found an article that talked about Ray Dalio's take on this debt ceiling this whole debt ceiling debate. And uh, and Dalio, who is a billionaire, said that uh, this will lead to a di- disastrous financial collapse. He suggests that these high levels of debt, uh, the government is still spending um, on, on a deficit basis to a, a very large extent. And he suggests that this rising debt, this mounting U.S. debt, will eventually lead to the equivalent of a run on the central bank now here's what he said quote increasing the debt limit the way congress and presidents have repeatedly done and will most likely do this time around will mean there will be no meaningful limit on the debt this will eventually lead to a disastrous financial collapse now that is almost stating the obvious when you think about it because debt accumulation has to have a limit at a certain point, and, and I believe we're there now, there won't be any credible source that will want to loan the U.S. money to operate, to continue to spend on a deficit basis. So the Fed has really taken up the slack. But that cannot continue forever either. This past week, the inflation report came in hotter than expected when the Fed Via QE, via currency creation, funds deficit spending, it feeds inflation. Now, D'Elio says that he doesn't think that there will be a default this time around. The Biden administration and congressional Republicans will reach an agreement. Uh, I believe that that will be the case as well. As I stated uh, on a recent program, Uh, there's always a lot of drama, but there's always an agreement to continue to spend money. That we don't have in the form of tax revenues. Dalio put it this way: he said, Whatever agreement the Biden administration and Congressional Republicans may come to, that agreement is very unlikely to deal with the big issues in a meaningful way. Instead, he says it will likely tweak things in ways that won't matter much. And we probably won't see any real commitment to cutting the deficit in future years. Well, I happen to agree with Mr. Nelio. Now, he says that continuing on this path, he's again stating the obvious, this is not sustainable. Because, quote, increasing debt assets and liabilities faster than income eventually makes it impossible to simultaneously pay lender creditors a high enough real interest rate to have them hold the debt assets without having that real interest rate too high for borrower debtors to be able to service their debts. So what Dalio is actually saying here is that the U.S. is becoming increasingly less creditworthy. And think about it for a minute. If you were going to loan someone money that was extremely creditworthy you would probably be willing to take a lower interest rate than someone whose credit, their ability to pay you back, was a little bit suspect or a little bit sketchy. Well, I would describe the U.S. government's credit rating, credit risk, as now a bit sketchy. So if we are going to expect some foreign entity to loan the U.S. money, that foreign entity is likely going to require that they get a higher interest rate to compensate them for the increased risk of loaning the United States money. Here's the problem with that. There's already $32 trillion worth of debt, most of it financed over a very short timeframe. As this debt renews, if interest rates were to go from their current levels to a more normal six, seven, or eight percent, at eight percent, $32 trillion would consume about all tax revenues when you pull Social Security and Medicare tax receipts out of the equation. So we are at that point. We are at a point that this is completely unsustainable, and Dalio says that it really doesn't matter what agreement they come to, they're not going to go back and address the real issue. See, when the amount of debt that needs to be sold to finance deficit spending is greater than what debt buyers want to absorb, in other words, they're not willing to buy all of it, then the Fed has a decision to make. They have to decide to, one, let interest rates rise to compensate the lenders for their increased credit risk. That balances supply and demand. If that occurs, we will see a huge economic contraction. We will see the federal government put in a situation that they cannot afford to service the debt. The other option is to create currency to buy the debt. That option, of course, is inflationary, and it encourages those who are holding U.S. debt to sell the debt. Why? Because their real interest rates are negative. If you go buy a U.S. Treasury bill today and you're getting paid 4% interest, but the real inflation rate is 10%, for every year you hold that asset, your, your, your asset, your cash, your currency, in U.S. government debt, you lose 6% in purchasing power. People don't want to do that. That will make this debt imbalance worse. So the Fed really is at a point, as I'll talk about with Kerry Lutz in the next segment, that they don't really have a good option. Delio put it this way, quote, in either case, that creates a debt crisis that is like the runs on the banks that we've been seeing, but government bonds are now being sold And the run on the bank is really a run on the central bank. Anyone holding U.S. Treasuries or U.S. government debt now says, I don't want it anymore. Give me my cash. Delio also said that if you don't increase the debt limit, you're going to get an immediate default and you're going to have cutbacks on basics for those who can't afford cutbacks. That also causes financial havoc. And it creates a lot of social unrest. Now, if you take a look at what's really going on out there in the economy, what's really going on among consumers, and I'll talk about this more in the last segment, Bloomberg reported that as many as 89.1 million American adults, that's about 38.5% of American adults, experienced some form of difficulty covering expenses between April 26 and May 8. And again, that's according to Bloomberg. Now, if you look at that same period in 2022, it was 34.4% of Americans. It's now 38.5% of Americans. If you go back and look at that same period in 2021, it was 26.7% of Americans. So in two years, the number of Americans Experiencing difficulty in covering expenses has gone from just under 27% to just under 39%. That's almost 50% more American households experiencing difficulty in covering expenses. And what are they doing? They're putting it on credit cards. A household pulse survey, also reported by Bloomberg showed that 2.7 million more households were relying on credit cards to cover expenses than just one year ago. I'll talk more about this in the last segment of today's program. Let me remind you, if you'd like to get the May special report, all you need to do is go to requestyourreport.com. I'll be back after these words. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Kubergen. Joining me on today's program is first-time guest on the program, Mr. Kerry Watts. Uh, Kerry is the founder of the Financial Survival Network. You can learn more at financialsurvivalnetwork.com. Kerry has a terrific podcast as well that I know you'd enjoy. And again, financialsurvivalnetwork.com is the website. So, Kerry, welcome to the program.
1: Hey, well, I'm honored to be on with you, Dennis. We've had a couple of interviews on my podcast, and I found them quite, uh, quite informative and fascinating.
0: Well, you're very kind to say that, and uh, you talk to uh, you're you're a very bright guy. You talk to a lot of very bright people uh, very regularly, so I know the listeners are going to really appreciate your perspective. So, if we could, let's just jump right in. Uh, Talk, if you will, about your opinion as to the health of the U.S. economy. I uh, will. <laughs> hey,
1: well, uh, I guess you'd liken it to be the guy who uh, is getting on in years, starting to lose cognitive function. Uh, can't remember what he had for breakfast in the morning. Uh, really can't hold down a job anymore. I'm not being political here. I'm just uh, doing a, a metaphor for the U.S. economy. It's it's like the uh, V12 that's running on two cylinders now.
0: So, Carrie, let's let's dig into that a little bit. The the most recent uh, PCE report uh, came in hotter than expected. Uh, just zeroing in on inflation. Um, have we seen the worst of it in your view, or is is it going to get a little bit rougher moving ahead? Uh, Well,
1: look, there's two scenarios here. Number one is the Fed just keeps jacking up rates and jacking up rates and let the chips fall where they may. And we have a deflationary depression and, you know, have massive unemployment. And that'll happen a lot sooner than later. Number two is they get to a point where they panic and then they drastically start cutting rates and then inflation kicks in. Uh, there's really no other choice, and I think uh, given given the uh, politics involved, election years coming up and all that, they'll opt for the easing. Uh, no president uh, ever uh, – didn't ever get reelected because interest rates were too low.
0: Well, I, I think, Terry, don't you think we're seeing the, the, the beginning of that? I mean, when Powell, after the last Fed meeting, said uh, – you know, and pointed out the fact that uh, he's not using the word anticipate relating to future uh, uh, interest rate increases that, uh, you know, he's kind of set the stage for for this pivot, as it's now called, that, that, that you know, they're going to stop increasing rates and, and, and probably take that route. And, and isn't that the only thing they can do short of watching the economy collapse?
1: Yeah, it's just a question of when. I mean, look, housing sales are down all over the place. Uh, even here in where I am in Florida, they're down. Uh, not as much as in other places, obviously. Uh, and, uh, you know, the overall feeling across the country is country's on the wrong track. Economically, we're sliding. Uh, shipments are going down. All the uh, all those. Fed measurements of economic activity, all down. So we're heading for a recession. Honestly, I would make the argument, Dennis, that we've been in one for a year, but nobody wants to call it that. It's kind of like we got a weekend at Bernie's economy. Bernie, like, is dead, but nobody wants to face the fact, and they just drag him along as if he were alive, and they can continue the charade. But at some point, it gets to the point where you just can't continue it anymore.
0: Well, that's a terrific analogy, and I happen to agree with you. I think we have been in recession, uh, you know, for the last year. Uh, You you know, and when you talk about housing being down in real estate, you know, one of the things that I think uh, is being uh, almost, it's certainly being ignored by mainstream media, but it's not getting a lot of attention, and that is that there, you know, there's between $1.5 and $2 trillion of commercial real estate mortgages they're going to have to be refinanced here in the next 24 months and all at much higher interest rates. And when you couple that with the fact that, you, you know, vacancies are way up, uh, isn't that going to be just a huge headwind moving ahead as well?
1: Oh, yeah. and um, Oh, for sure. Uh, that is the a, a kind of like a subprime bubble. Uh, how much how many trillions worth of subprime mortgages did we have? The difference here is that institutions are holding these uh, mortgages, and uh, they'll, wor- they'll do workouts. You know, they'll defer interest. It's not gonna solve the problem, but it'll put the problem off. Uh, the way, you know, when you have 10 million homeowners underwater who stop paying their mortgages, uh, that's an administrative nightmare. Here, you got a couple thousand properties, maybe up to 10,000, maybe you've got uh, a couple thousand entities, A lot of them are large entities, too, Uh, big entities like the uh, mall operators and things like that. So for them, it'll be easier to do workouts here. And they might not need government intervention to do it, but the the owners of the mortgages are going to have to make adjustments uh, as to their value on their financial statements if they're publicly traded. A lot of insurance companies hold these mortgages and they count on the cash flow to pay down their policyholders. Uh, the other thing is you don't have to go through the foreclosure process in commercial real estate um, with, with residential real estate, you know, one, one family to four family homes, you have to go through the foreclosure process to wipe out liens and such, but for commercial real estate, it's a much more streamlined process. You just do a deed in lieu of foreclosure. Literally, it's it's commercial jingle mail. They just send the keys, and uh, the mortgagee takes over the property. Uh, but you know, it's and the mortgagee rather. But you know, it's it's not that it's not going to have reverberations around the country and the world. There's pension funds that own these mortgages, all sorts of different entities that uh, that their capital is going to be tested. So, yeah, it's a disaster, but it's not like subprime mortgages.
0: Well, I'm chatting today with Mr. Kerry Lutz. Kerry is the uh, host of the Financial Survival Network podcast. Uh, you can learn more about his work at financialsurvivalnetwork.com. And Kerry, I know that uh, you you recently interviewed Wolf Richter, and I, I love to read uh, a lot of what Wolf publishes as well. And I, I think I read this past week that he noted that uh, cash sales of real estate year over year, this is residential real estate down twenty two percent year over year. So isn't that a sign that now you know, the institutions and the cash buyers, and one would think that that's the those are the savvy real estate investors, Uh, They've now decided to sit on their hands. So is is that a a red flag that maybe uh, the end is near for real estate?
1: Oh, well, you know, but real estate, we tend to call it one market, all right? In states where populations are growing, residential real estate might not get hit quite as hard. It's going to take a hit. But in uh, states where people can't get out of there fast enough, like California, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, uh, Illinois, then uh, then, yeah, this is kind of the death knell for them.
0: So do you have a, a, a prediction, uh, you know, understanding that uh, certain states are, are, are going to be hit harder than others for, for the migration reasons you just cited. Uh, well, where do you see real estate ultimately going? Do you think we're going to see a repeat of what we saw back in 2007, 2008 or, or is it going to be uh, more severe than that?
1: It's it's things are a little different because the anyone with a pulse and a lot of people even without pulses could get a mortgage and buy a home back in 08, you know, in the early 2000s, liar loans as they called them. Uh, stated employee, stated income loans where they didn't even ask an employee for his W-2. You just said how much you were making. They were literally liar loans, NOLA loans, no income, no asset verification loans. They don't have that anymore. The people who have taken out mortgages in the past uh, 14 years had to go through much stricter underwriting. That's not to say that FHA loans, where somebody put up 3.5% of the uh, purchase price, they don't have enough skin in the game that if they go underwater or they lose their jobs, then you're not going to pay your mortgage. But potential, the potential severity is not as bad as then. Plus, you got all these people with two and a half, three and a half, even 4% mortgages. That's like an asset in itself, Dennis, when you have mortgage rates at 7% and you have a 3% mortgage, that's actually an asset when you think about it, right? For sure.
0: For sure. Hey, Terry, we are uh, nearing the end of this segment, but we do have just enough time for you to share with the listeners uh, a bit about your work at the Financial Survival Network, maybe a little bit of background as to uh, what you do there. And again, the website is financialsurvivalnetwork.com.
1: Sure. Well, hey, I'm a recovering attorney, practiced for 30 years, so I try to bring in an analytical, logical analysis of the current economic events that are taking place. Plus, the Austrian School of Economics devotee have been for the past 45 years, so we try to look at things from a free market perspective and try to illustrate the damage that central planning and government intervention cause in the economic markets and try to help you to put together a plan so if everything really hits the fan, you are somewhat prepared for it. And look, if you're in Florida, you prepare for a hurricane. If you're in uh, California, you prepare for an earthquake, a mudslide, or a uh, forest fire right? Well, if you live in this modern world, you need to be ready for an economic conflagration or meltdown. And that's what we try to help you do.
0: Well, again, the website is financialsurvivalnetwork.com. My guest today is Mr. Kerry Lutz. I'll be back with Kerry after these words. Stay with us. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm Dennis Kutberg and your host. I'm chatting today with the founder of the Financial Survival Network, Mr. Kerry Lutz. Uh, you can learn more at financialsurvivalnetwork.com. And uh, Kerry, you know, in, in the last segment, um, we were talking a bit about the fact that uh, in, in your view, and I share that view, that there, there's a couple ways uh, this could play out economically speaking, largely dependent on. The Fed's policy. Uh, can, can you envision a scenario? I, I mean, with, with, the, with the BRICS countries, uh, you know, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa uh, holding a summit here uh, in the next few weeks uh, in St. Petersburg, and there's a lot of talk about a move away from the, the dollar. Uh, can, can you envision a scenario where, uh, as opposed to a deflationary depression, we might see a hyperinflationary depression as uh, an outcome here?
1: Well, Look, um, it it could it could happen for sure, uh, and it might not even be the unlikely scenario. It might be the likely scenario. Look, if uh, there's a complete loss of faith in the dollar, what does any fiat currency rely upon? Even supposedly asset-backed currencies, confidence. And I always say, what's the root word of confidence? Con. So you have to con the majority of the world's. Uh, inhabitants into believing that this thing has value, even though it really has none. And well, what you have to realize, switching away from the dollar, uh, they talk about it a lot, but the reality is something completely different. Uh, if you're a, a hedge fund or you're a uh, you're a uh, mutual fund in Switzerland or or, or Germany. And you got to park $10 billion overnight are you, or for the weekend. Are you going to do it in a European bank or a Chinese bank or any other bank? Or are you going to go in an American bank? And these bricks can say all they like, but nobody is going to park their money in a Chinese bank because there's no trust there. Now, we're on the way to destroying the trust in our uh, financial system here for sure. but. Uh, at the present time, there's no place for these for the big money to go parking itself for periods of time other than in the United States. And you have to look at the dollar not as a currency unit, but as a trading system. And there's really no alternative for it. The Chinese are talking about it, and maybe at some point, they will supplant the US dollar. Okay? It's, it's likely that they will, but not the way things are currently in uh, their economy is even in worse shape than ours in many respects, but because uh, they're a little less free flowing with the information, um, then uh, you don't really get a real uh, idea of, of what's happening. Right. For
0: sure. So, so Carrie, given uh What you just said, Uh, do do you have an uh, opinion on where we might see uh, tangible assets like gold and silver move, those assets being obviously the most portable way to own something tangible in your portfolio? What's your forecast there?
1: All right. Well, I try not to forecast because I'm always wrong with
0: forecasts,
1: but I can (laughs) tell you that I I bought my first gold in 1999 when I think it was $280 an ounce. And I never really stopped buying up until, well, the end of 08 and 09, but my holdings physical are way under where the market's at now. Um, If things really get bad, which uh, wouldn't surprise me, because we didn't even talk about the bank runs and the the banking crisis that we're going through now, but look, uh, it could easily go much higher. And you could see inflation spike up to levels we've never imagined in the United States to near like Argentinian levels or, um, you know, there's been numerous hyperinflations over the past 40 years. Israel had one at one point, uh, Brazil, but Argentina seems to have it regularly. So metals prices in that situation certainly going to uh, going to going to go up for sure. Uh you know, right now gold is I think around 1950 something. I haven't looked at it uh since we got on the phone uh looking at kitgo.com, which is where I recommend anybody go to look at it. There's no association with me or them. It's $1950 at this particular minute. tra silver's trading 2297. So Gold a couple of weeks ago hit its all-time high, two thousand and eighty dollars. Silver hasn't hit its all-time high since uh, back in um, I think it was forty five years ago. So uh, it's trading at fifty percent. So silver is the buy. But uh, there's a guy I remember. He said, right now, silver is the worst investment in the world. And he said that a while ago. This is like 15 years ago, but he said, one day you're going to wake up and silver will be the best investment in the world. I still believe that. I don't want to hazard to when that's actually going to occur, but I am absolutely convinced that that's going to be the case.
0: Well, I, I, I certainly share that view. If you're just joining me today, I'm chatting with Mr. Kerry Watts. He is the founder of the Financial Survival Network. Has a podcast I would highly encourage you to check out uh, financialsurvivalnetwork.com again as a website. Kerry, uh, you mentioned the, the the banking issues we've seen. Uh, you know, Signature Bank, Silicon Valley Bank, First mm-hmm. Republic. We've had a number of banking failures. Um, is this just getting started in your view, or is this whole situation under control?
1: Well, unfortunately, they didn't do the right thing for Silicon Valley. Uh, you know, the um, Janet Yellen, Secretary of the Treasury, former head of the Federal Reserve, said, we're not going to, you know, make good on everybody, on all the depositors. And this was the concept of uh, Dodd-Frank, which was that the uh, when these large institutions go, all the stakeholders got to, you know it's an excrement sandwich, and everybody's got to take a bite. But now <laughs> the threat and so they were sticking to that scenario, and then, as a result, they put this disaster off and it spread to other banks. Now, they needed to go in there immediately over the weekend, close the bank down and hand it off to JP. Morgan Chase or whomever. Now Jamie Dimon said, we don't want any more banks. We don't want consolidation. But I go back to uh, the last financial banking crisis in 08, and 09, when Merrill Lynch was uh, really on the hit the skids. And they called up uh, Ken Lewis, who is the head of Bank of America, and said, Ken, congratulations. You are now the owner of Merrill Lynch. He said, wait, wait, we don't want it. We, we don't want it. It's a bad buy. And I said, Ken, you're not hearing us. Bank of America is now the proud owner of Merrill Lynch, and he said, oh, well, now that you put it that way, thank you very much. That is exactly (laughs) what they will do, because um, the Fed calls the shots, the Treasury calls the shots, and they tell these banks to jump, and uh, if the banks don't jump high enough, they put a torch under their butts, and then they see how high they can jump, right? So it's a whole mishandling. It could have been far less severe. But once they start making the depositors uh, think that their deposits are in doubt, then all those all those big ones over the FDIC limit are going to switch into T-bills, which are, you know, supposedly the safest investment in the world, right, until they aren't one day. But we can put that off. So So what they did was they triggered the very bank run that they're supposed to stop, and they'll probably be you know, several dozen more banks before this goes. But now, if you notice the last two happened on the weekend, they said, uh, you know, this uh, bank, uh, what was it, First Republic, you are now a division of uh, Chase Manhattan Bank. And, uh, you know, and that's the way it's supposed to unfold. But uh, they tried the Lehman thing, trying to tell the market, and the market said, yeah, you want bank runs? In the United States, not just here, it's a banking crisis all over. All of China's banks are insolvent. All of Japan's banks, arguably, might be in better shape. Europe's banks insolvent. They're all insolvent because the nature of fractional reserve banking, where you can loan out virtually all the money that comes to the bank, except for a couple percent, is fraught with risk for when you have these these bad economic times and borrowers default on math. You know, in China, I think it's bad here, Dennis. In China, there's supposedly 4 million people who are on a mortgage strike because they're paying mortgages on buildings, on units that weren't yet complete. And then the developer went bust. So they stopped uh, building them and the borrowers are still on the hook. And they said, the hell with it. It's never going to be built. The developer breached his agreement. We're breaching ours, and so you know, once the banking contagion spreads, it, it's like uh, it's like a fire in California. They wouldn't let them get rid of all the uh, all the uh, dead wood there, all the scrub wood, all the zombie banks. And then when the uh, when the forest fire strikes, it's far worse and and can envelop hundreds of thousands, millions of acres because they didn't prune the trees and get rid of the dead wood, the waste earlier, so it all catches fire and the good go down with the bad. Uh, That's the risk. Is it possible? Yes, at this point, the Fed has basically gone into QE to keep these banks afloat. So if the Fed uh, can ride the wave because these panics are generally short-lived, all right? Um, They have a limited duration because then you're expecting the worst. It's like you wake up every morning expecting a heart attack, right? Some people do that, not me, not you, I assume. Uh, And every day, the heart attack doesn't come. So finally, one day you wake up and you say, well, I'm awake, there's no heart attack, and then you just stop thinking about it. That's what bank runs are like, bank panics. So it'll go on for a while and then gradually uh, the rates that the banks pay will have to go up and, and it'll be behind us unless they screw up again. This was a total screw up by the Fed and the Treasury in allowing Silicon Valley Bank to metastasize out of control and then spread to the other banks.
0: Well, the clock says we're going to have to leave it there. My guest today has been Mr. Kerry Lutz. He is the founder of the Financial Survival Network. He's got a podcast I would encourage you to check out. You can learn more about his work and check the podcast out at FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com. That's FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com. Kerry, really appreciate you coming on the program today. I'd love to have you back down the road and uh, really appreciated your insights. Thank you for joining us.
1: Hey, and thank you. And we we'll look forward to having you back on our show too, Dennis. It's
0: been a pleasure. I will look forward to that as well. We will return after these words. You are listening to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Stubergen. Thanks again to Mr. Terry Lutz for joining us on today's program. If you're just tuning in, I'd like to remind you that it is the last opportunity for you to get the May 2023 special report. The May special report is titled IRA and 401k Strategies. When you request the report you will not only get the report, you'll get a copy of my best-selling revenue sourcing book that contains a retirement planning strategy for the current economy. You'll also get a copy of the little black book on social security maximization. Go to requestyourreport.com to request the report and the bonus information. In the report, you'll not only get investing strategies for IRAs and 401ks, uh, you'll also get tax management strategies to consider for your situation. So again, requestyourreport.com is the site. Well, I talked to Kerry on today's program a bit about where he sees commercial real estate and residential real estate going. Uh, There was an article published this past week written by Jeffrey Jones. And Mr. Jones reported on a survey done by Gallup. And at this point, 21% of U.S. adults believe it is a good time to buy a house. Now, if you compare that to a poll that was conducted one year ago, it's down nine percentage points. So a year ago, 30% of U.S. adults thought it was a good time to buy a house. Now, 21% think it's a good time to buy a house. Now, when you look at those readings, and you look at the, 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 this polling. Gallup has been doing this poll since 1978. The 2022 reading of 30% and the three reading of 21% are the lowest of all time. Now, this poll, again, by Gallup was conducted between April 3rd and April 25th. And while 21% of Americans think it's a good time to buy a house, 78% say it's a bad time to buy a house. Now, Gallup, as I said, started this poll in 1978. In 1978, 53% thought it was a good time to buy a house. 13 years later, in 1991, 67% thought it was a good time to buy a house, the record high Was in 2003. In 2003, 81% of Americans thought it was a good time to buy a house. And in 2003, that 81% of Americans happened to be correct. That was at the beginning of the housing market rising and eventually bubbling. But even during the real estate bubble, as the bubble was building and started to fall apart. And Americans became less optimistic about housing market conditions. In 2006, 52% said it was a good time to buy a house. 2008, 58% said it was a good time to buy a house. In 2020, in the early stages of the coronavirus pandemic, when economic activity was severely limited. 50% thought it was a good time to buy a house. That was then a record low. 2022 and 2023 now have the lowest numbers ever recorded in this survey. Now, interestingly, in 2021, 71% of those surveyed thought home prices in their area would increase over the next year. Last year, 70% expected that they would increase as well. In the fourth quarter of 2022, the median home sales price in the U.S. was $479,500. However, in the first quarter of 2023, just one quarter later, the median sale price was $436,800. We've seen a decline in a quarter of between 8 and 10%. And only 56% now believe home values in their area will rise in the next year. If that's the case, this coupled with much higher mortgage interest rates now over 7%, we can safely make the assumption that what we're seeing in real estate now, this slowdown in real estate is likely going to continue. And this will likely affect banking, as I talked about with Kerry Lutz on today's program. Janet Yellen, uh, when she was speaking to a group of CEOs of large banks this uh, past month, said, quote, this might be an environment in which we're going to see more mergers. And, you know, that's something I think the regulators will be open to. What's she saying? She's saying that there will be more bank failures and larger banks will be forced to take over smaller banks, as I discussed today with my guest, Mr. Kerry Lutz. If you're not sure exactly what to do with the money in your IRA or 401k, I would invite you to get the May 2023 special report. It is titled IRA and 401k Strategies. It is yours absolutely free and with no future obligation when you visit requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com. When you visit the site, you'll simply be asked to give us the address to which you would like to have the report and the bonus information shipped, and we'll be very glad to get it out to you. Again, that is requestyourreport.com. Next week, I'll be back on the program with technical analyst Dr. Robert McCube. Uh, you'll want to tune in for that. I'm going to get Bob's updated forecast based on his technical analysis. And I'll also have my uh, commentary as well. So, again, that will be next week on the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. There are additional resources available at retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. I'd encourage you to visit that website and check out those resources as well. Have a great week.